P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning out there to all of you that may be still in quarantine. We are in California, kind of. Uh, I think most of the country is um, maybe sheltered in, at least minimally. And I have today somebody from Canada, uh, Toronto, Canada, Bill Joy. Bill, what's going on Hi, in Francie. Canada? <laughs> nice to have you Hello. on the show, Bill. What's going on in Canada with quarantine? Tell well, us what's it's, happening. Uh, we're experiencing our second wave here, and... Uh, where I uh, live, it's kind of out in the country, so it's not not too bad in my own particular area. But nearby Toronto, they're they're getting a lot of cases, new cases every day, and more restrictions being placed on folks and businesses being shut down, and it's not nice. No, it, unfortunately, it is. Uh just really, <laughs> that's a very understated way to put it. It's not nice. I love it. <laughs> so um, what does it look like for you folks to get the vaccine? Well, we're uh, way behind uh, other countries in the world, apparently, in, in getting it. So uh, from what I've read in the newspaper, they don't figure, well, everyone that's actually going to take it is going to have it till roughly this time next year, maybe the end of September really? next year. So it's going really? to be a while. Oh, that's depressing for sure. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, the reality is um, even though there's a lot of press on, on how fast, fantastic it is and every, people are getting it and everybody's going to have it, the reality is we're not going to get it and probably until, I don't know, end of spring maybe or later. When it gets down to the common folks? <laughs> well, I'll be glad when it's all over. It'd be nice <laughs> to see all the old folks get it and the health care workers first. I'm okay with yeah. all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. The front line, the police departments, the fire, firemen, all those folks. So, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's going to be a wonderful thing when we can all get back together again. We can have conferences. We can see each other. Big oh, hugs. That'd be, nice. <laughs> be great. So, but thank you for being on the show, Bill. Um, I don't, have you and I ever met? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I was trying to remember that because you uh, and I both are members of the National Association of Legal Investigators and we're a, a small community of certified legal investigators as well, I noticed on your resume. Um, yeah. You know, before we get started, um, some people might be interested in that designation, a certified legal investigator. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and what you went through to get that designation? Well, I, I, I really would like to because it's a, it was a good thing for me. Uh, 
I, I got involved in uh, in Nally through uh, Harriet Gold, who you probably know. Mm-hmm, right. And she, she introduced me to a bunch of other folks there, and they told me about the CLI designation, and I found it very interesting. And then uh, then I uh, found out that I had to read about 30 books or something, right? But, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and exactly. I, and, <laughs> My, my expertise has not always been uh, at the top level for being a student, but uh, I read them all, studied them all, and I learned uh, an awful lot of stuff that I thought I knew and really didn't know, and learned about uh, conducting different investigations that I don't don't normally uh, conduct, like you know uh, uh, negligence in the manufacturing situation, for example. So. Uh, I learned, uh, I feel like I know how to do those investigations now, even though I don't do them very frequently, right? So uh, it was it was good for me. It was a good process. Uh, the exam uh, process was uh, fairly rigorous, and uh, you had to be on your toes in order to pass the thing. To, to tell you the truth, when I, when I wrote it, uh, I thought, well, I'm probably going to fail it, but at least I'll know what's involved in it, you know, and uh, I'll pass it the next time. But I passed it the first time, which was good, and uh, apparently my marks were pretty good. So uh, I'm I'm very proud of uh, having done it and and having that designation. I'm the only one in Canada that has it, which uh, I hope uh, if there's anybody listening in Canada that they would would try and get it. couple of the folks that work for me are, are going to get involved in it. So, um, you know, it's a much more meaningful designation uh, in the United States because it's, it's recognized down there by everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, up here, I'm the only guy that's got one, so it's not all that recognizable, right? But uh, hopefully it will be one day. Yeah, I, and it, absolutely. And it's so well worthwhile. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember... I was I was scared to death to take it as well because it's you know it's an all day arduous thing, you know yeah. you got written tests and got oral interviews and you have to do a live. Did you have to do a live interview? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. And, uh, live interview. <laughs> write a report. A case to do and, <laughs> and write a report in a certain amount of time. Uh, and then you uh, get so. <laughs> Then you get interviewed by a bunch of investigators <laughs> on yeah, all kinds all, of things, mostly all, ethics, All of actually. whom are better investigators than me, right? <laughs> like, I, I feel like a, being in Nally that, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, I don't know if I should belong to an organization that would have me as a member, right? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because they're all so good, right? And they do such wonderful work. And, uh, yeah. you know, I read about them in the news all the time, right? And, uh, so I, I'm honored just to be a, a member of NALI, let alone uh, uh, a certified legal investigator. Exactly. Yeah, a great bunch of folks and all highly qualified. It's yeah, it is. Uh, it is pretty daunting. <laughs> and I, I was, I don't know whether you felt this way or not, but I, I just knew I failed. You know, I just knew. So I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop when they when they made the announcements that that night. It, I was uh, so blown away that I actually did it so uh it's kind of cool i felt the same (laughs) okay and and, you know i was actually uh there one year when somebody did fail so that was uh, a real you know like ooh, that could have been me you know 
<laughs> me too. <laughs> so, but I'm so glad to have you on the show, Bill. And uh, I know you mentioned you're you're in Toronto. Tell tell me a little bit about uh, how you got started doing investigation. Were you in law enforcement before, or what what was going on? Well, I started out as a musician. Ah. And then I became an accountant. Okay. And I owned a manufacturing company that went belly up. And I decided I didn't want to be an accountant anymore. And I saw this ad in the paper for uh, to become a private investigator. Uh, so I, I got hired by this fellow, and uh, he was just starting a new business, and I kind of helped him a little with that. And he taught me a lot of stuff, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've been doing it ever since, and that was like about 30 years ago. You know, and what you just described is probably a, the way many of us get there, and your background is probably been an asset. Well, certainly, uh, actually, both uh, things have been useful. The music, because uh, we can talk about that a little bit later if we're going to talk about the white paper, but... Um, the music's been helpful, but the accounting has been especially helpful because I do a lot of fraud investigations on both sides of the table. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's been useful to, uh, you know, be able to interpret financial information and so on as, as well as I do. Well, I noticed the picture you sent me, you're playing a sax. So is, yeah. that, your speci- <laughs> <laughs> is that your specialty? Yeah, yeah, I, I play sax. I play a little bit of guitar, but I'm, I'm not really that great at it. I keep plugging away at it, but, you know, I had a little more time to practice lately. But Yeah, yeah, I bet you have. Well, so um, we're gonna, today we're going to talk about, um, Bill, actually, Bill, especially getting a witness to speak to you. And uh, it's, it's a fascinating topic because it's one of those topics that you never stop learning new techniques. So I'm That's excited. For sure. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because uh, I want to learn new techniques. So, well, just okay. Go ahead. Talk, uh, well, I, I think uh, for all the investigators that are, are listening out there, it's, it's, you know, when you think of yourself when you were first doing this fancy and, you, you know, how things were then and you were so excited about it and uh, and when something went really well, you you felt like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get this, right? But it truly is a cumulative thing. Uh, the main difference between a, an experienced investigator and a beginning investigator is the experienced investigators made a whole lot more mistakes over the years than the <laughs> new guys had a chance to do yet. And yep. and it's from from those mistakes... Uh, that you start to learn things and, and you start to kind of incorporate those things you learn together with the other facets of your life. And, uh, you know, if you, if you pay attention as investigators are supposed to do, you start to recognize ways of, of doing certain things. And as you know, there's millions of books written about uh, how to interview and interrogate people uh, once you got them in the room, but for us as private investigators, we need to get them in the room first. And and being able to do that, in my view, is probably one of the most important skills an investigator can learn. 
uh, you sure still need to know what to do once you have them in the room, but but if you can't get them in the room, you never have a chance to practice those skills. For sure. I mean, we don't have that badge, and we don't we can't have the power to take somebody into the police station and uh, talk to them. And so, yeah. <laughs> it you know, it's a in a sales job in a way. That's right. And I, you and, know, and I go ahead. I, I was thinking it's kind of like uh, like when you're doing a, uh, an investigation before you get out on the road and start interviewing people or collecting evidence or whatever, you, you try and gather a little bit of intelligence about the people you're going to be dealing with. Certainly if you're doing uh, an undercover, I don't do those too much anymore, but, uh, but when I did, right, it was, you know, before you went in there, you would find out as much as you could about the, the people that you're going to be working together with and the targets of your investigation and so on. And uh, I don't think it's any different when you're going to interview a witness. Uh, and if you, you know, I mean, subject to budget restrictions and so on, right? Sometimes you don't have the ability to do everything you want to do. But uh, to the extent that you can, uh, find out about the uh, woman or, or man that you're hoping to interview. Uh, you know, even it doesn't have to be all things that are directly related to your investigation, but, you know, what do they like to do? Do they like to go uh, uh, ice skating or do they like to go swimming or or are they just guys that sit at home and watch Netflix all day? Who knows, right? But if you can gather some information about them, you have a little bit to talk about. And one of the most important ways that and this is where I think the music part uh, of it comes in is, do you know what uh, entrainment means? Uh, it's, I have uh, no idea. Like, <laughs> it's it's kind of like, uh, it's a, a term often referred to when talking about uh, concert musicians. Like it's, it's the difference between a really, really good musician and one of those great ones that everybody talks about, you know, the, the John Coltrane's of the world and, and so on, right? Um, and what those folks do uh, when they're playing together, like, say, a string quartet or something, uh, they, they anticipate how uh, each other are going to interpret the piece of music that they're playing. And they mm-hmm. do that by watching each other, listening to each other. If it's a big orchestra, the conductor kind of facilitates it all. And... And they, and they know how they're going to do this, how they're going to work together. And, and basically the premise of it is that it's a lot easier and more comfortable to do things with two people together than it is one by yourself. So if you're talking about an interview situation or trying to get somebody to agree to an interview, it's a lot easier to get them to do that if, if they're feeling the same things that, that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And in my view, the best way to get them to do that is to uh, be a good listener and actively listen. You've heard that term, active listening, I'm sure, a hundred times, right? Mm-hmm. But sure. it, but it's a uh, it's a good term because it, when you do that, you're actually expressing interest in what that person may be saying. And if you have from your intelligence gathering some things to talk about, even not related to the investigation. Uh, 
then you can build rapport with the, with the person you're trying to interview and eventually gain some commitment from them to speak to you. And the commitment part of it is something I learned from doing fraud investigations over the air from the fraudsters themselves because that's what they do. Uh, I'm not suggesting PIs should uh, be fraudulent, <laughs> but but uh, the fraudsters, like uh, if you think of all those cases where somebody meets somebody else on the Internet and, and they get talking and they're... They're getting along fine, and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, all of a sudden there's a, an event where the this guy gets some lady to send him some money or vice versa, and, uh, you know, because he had a, a car accident or something, right? But once that person actually gives them money, they've made a commitment, and it's usually a small amount of money in the beginning, and but once that commitment's made, it's easier to, to get them to make a larger commitment. So... Great example. Uh, when we're t- t- talking about the interview process, if you can get somebody to make a bit of a commitment, like to talk to you at the door or to listen to you for a while on the phone, to have a normal person-to-person conversation on related to the investigation at hand, that's a commitment. And once you've got that, then at some point you can lead towards asking for you know an opportunity to do a formal interview. So that is that's a, yeah, terrific example. Yeah, terrific example. Yeah, uh, Bill, we're going to take a quick break. I came came really fast. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break and come back in just a couple of moments. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is Bill Joint. He's a legal investigator from Ontario, Canada, Toronto. He's the president of William Joint Investigations. He's uh, served as president of the Council of Private Investigators in Ontario and the Canadian Association of Private Investigators as president as well. So I'm delighted to talk to him today. And we're talking about preparing and conducting interviews with witnesses. So, Bill, I love the analogy you made between uh, musicians, actually, and uh, doing an investigation. Because I've always wondered, you know, you see all of a sudden four, six, ten, twenty musicians that have never played together ever come together and sound fantastic. And I've always wondered about that. And what you're saying makes sense. They, they watch each other. They kind of uh, understand the interpretation of each person's music. And that's thank you for sharing that because I, that, I never thought of that before. Well, uh, I haven't played at the level where uh, this uh, entrainment is uh, fully realized. Uh, I'm not that good of a musician, but when I did play uh, with a group of other guys, there's, you know, they always call it like a, we're, we're in the groove. And I think that's part of it. Like, so you don't really have to be wondering about what you're going to be doing next because it just kind of flows that way and everybody feels it flowing the same way. Hmm. So, uh, the, for me, it's kind of, they're, they're all related, uh, music, um, the accounting thing, uh, because music and math are, are one and the same in my view, they're both beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and they're, you know, uh, I mean, music's based based on the thing called the harmonic overtone series, which is pure geometrical progression, right? right? And then there's then there's the you know, the beauty of music and the feeling of music, which I find is also true in investigations if things if you're able to do things well and get people to talk to you and and get the most out of them when you do talk to them, uh, those are are beautiful things as well. And, and it's all for me a little bit interrelated. Interesting. That's fabulous analogy. So, so tell me what you do to prepare for an interview. Well, you know, uh, (laughs) a few years ago, it was a little easier to get information about people from their uh, social network uh, presence, but a lot of people have closed down a lot of the stuff they used to leave on there. So we do we do that. We review that. We do you know the regular searches that you would do for gathering intelligence. We may do, uh, depending on how important the case is, we may do some surveillance of the person to find out the kinds of things they're involved in and, and what they like to do and where they like to go. And uh, and then you uh, you know you review the the matter that's been given to you by your client, the lawyer or whoever. And, uh, and, you know, set out, you know, what it is you're trying to, uh, achieve by interviewing the person. 
And, you know, I don't know if it's your experience, but a lot of less experienced lawyers uh, just say, oh, I want you to ask the following seven questions. That's all I need, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But if you if you have an opportunity to read the disclosure that's, you know, if it's a criminal case, the disclosure that's been um, provided by, the, well, up here they call it the Crown, but the prosecutor, um, and, and, you know, take a look at, you know, conflicting statements made by witnesses, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, the more you know about the case, the better you're able going to, the better able you're going to be to form and ask questions and do it in such a way as not to antagonize the person that you're asking. And uh, so I, I like to, uh, you know, go through all that, uh, that kind of thing before, uh, um, before I go and, uh, talk to them. And then plus the regular stuff, you know, make sure if you're hoping to do a type statement on a computer, make sure everything's working you got, uh, paper and, you know, your car is working and all those things. And, uh, and I always like write out the questions that I'm going to ask and imagine how they might respond to them uh, before I go. And so I have, I don't always use everything that's on it because, you know, one question after the response of the previous question may not be relevant anymore, but uh, you uh, have a little plan for yourself about how you're going to approach it, right? How you're going to get into the building, uh, how, what you're going to do when the guy answers the door and be a little prepared to deal with the uh, many reasons people will tell you that, they, that they're not going to talk to you. And for me, I mean, there's common ones, uh, you know, like uh, I'm too busy or I don't want to go to court or I don't like that guy or, you know, uh, I'm afraid to or, or there's a number of ones that you commonly and, and some unusual ones as well, but if you're a little bit prepared on what your response will be when you get that response from them, then you have a chance of, of engaging them further and continuing the conversation. And as long as you can keep people talking to you, you still got a shot at it. And uh, as I mentioned earlier about gaining that commitment, that's part of gaining that commitment. The longer you keep them talking, the more you've led them towards that commitment and, you know, even if they just say, look, I can't talk to you right now, that's a commitment. Say, well, I I understand that. I know you're busy. Uh, I'll come back next Tuesday, right? You know, at least if the guy says, okay, that that's even stronger commitment. And, uh, and you, you know, you're, you're getting there and, uh, it doesn't always happen when you knock on the door and the guy invites you in has coffee and tells you everything you want to know. Right. But, uh, but getting in the door is the first step and the first step to getting in the door is gaining that commitment from somebody. And in order to do that, you need to be prepared. You know, Bill, a great example of that. I, you may, you may know Sheila Klopper. Uh, she was, she's I know, an I know the name. Okay. Um, she's a friend of mine. She, there's a case that she had, which is ties in exactly to what you're talking about because, uh, it was a juvenile witness, and the father had refused to let anybody talk to talk to him. He refused to let the police talk to him. 
other investigators. I mean, just on down the line, he was absolutely not going to let his son talk to an investigator. He didn't care who they were. And so here she is. (laughs) And she's been assigned to go talk to this guy. And she's at his door and he's going through his spiel. And she sees right behind him in the foyer, uh, like a a foyer table with a, a picture of a motorcycle. And she, she mm-hmm. rides motorcycles, and she, so she commented on it, and they started talking about the motorcycle. And all of a sudden, he told her he had a brand new motorcycle in his garage, and he takes her back to see his new motorcycle. And they bond over that motorcycle, and she gets the interview. That's it's, the way to do it. That's the way and, to do it. The, you let them set the agenda and talk about what they want to talk about and, and, and listen. Right. And, and, uh, you know, everybody's got something good to say, no matter who they are, something interesting to say, uh, something you may learn a little bit about every time you go out and do this, you learn a mm-hmm. little bit, uh, about if nothing else uh, about how to approach people. And, uh, and if, if they say something that, you know, perks your interest, then ask them more about it. Let them talk, right? Let them go on, and, and as your friend did with the, with the motorcycle, it's a it's a brilliant way to to go about it. But that's what she did. There was gather a little bit of intelligence. She did it on the fly, exactly. right? And, right. And, and that's that's a great skill as well, right? But uh, but if you if you spend a little time gathering that intelligence, then you got something to talk about that you can potentially bond with that person about, right? So right, yeah. We I had a situation once as well. Um, it was a a horrible uh, federal fraud case where this this couple built people out of their homes, you know, they got them to sign their homes over to them. And it was horrible. And this guy, this one particular guy had been in the, had been in a serious accident and got, was in the hospital. And during the time he was in the hospital in, in ICU for a long time, his house was foreclosed on. So he is not a happy camper, (laughs) needless to say. So I'm there with another investigator, and he welcomed it. You know, we introduced ourselves. He opened the door. He welcomed us in. And literally, as we're stepping across the threshold, he realized what we said. And then he went off on us and just started yelling and, you know, all the things, you know, that happens. And exactly what you said, we just kept talking. We just kept him engaged. And after a little while, he calmed down a little bit. He invited us in and we spent an hour and a half there interviewing. But yeah, but so. you're right on with that. Just to keep talking about something. It doesn't matter what it is. I had a big case involving... Uh animal abuse at this uh, humane society and a lot of the people that worked there were young women who related well to animals um, right. and and uh, but they were young women that were easily pushed around by the management and mm. so much so that it became a, uh, a culture at this place uh, to the point that uh, a lot of them were afraid uh, to speak with anyone about it for fear of losing their job. And I don't really think they cared so much about the job as, as about leaving the animals they were caring for behind. But mm-hmm. 
getting over that hump with with one girl I remember um uh, uh like just letting her go on about her job generally, right, without getting into the specific questions that I had mm-hmm. and why she liked her job and why she was doing it and uh, and so on. And, and these people that uh, were her managers were, like, so abusive. I, I won't even say the things they, mm. they said to these young women on this radio show, but uh, they were extreme and... Uh, and and she was clearly frightened uh, of these people, and uh, and also frightened for the animals. But but anyway, we 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 got over that, and then she opened up to me, and she told me like a like blew this thing wide open for me, right? So uh, it was uh, it's it's always good to uh, to let them talk and to listen to what they're saying, and you know when appropriate, respond to what they're saying in a positive manner. So that you, you know, I'm sure you've been in tons of situations where you've interviewed somebody that potentially did something you think is disgusting, right? But (laughs) but you you can't you can't be judgmental about it, right? Uh, Right. And uh, and you know when you first try and talk to somebody, they assume that you're going to be that way, and if you show them that you're exactly the opposite of that then you can gain a little bit of trust, build some rapport, and get that uh, entrainment thing going, you know? You know, it's really it's really true. Um, people are, are going to assume you're going to, you know, I mean, yes, we. if we do criminal defense, we deal with a lot of people that do possibly disgusting things. But even fraud cases and all kinds of cases have that element. And uh, Yes, for sure. And you have to really put yourself in a mindset so you're not telegraphing what what you're really thinking, <laughs> right? That's a, that's a good observation. I, I agree with that 100%, right? Uh, and, yeah. you know, uh, I, I re- recently worked on a, a real estate fraud case where this guy's own lawyer screwed him around. And, uh, mm. you know... He, now, this guy ended up being the client, so it wasn't so hard to talk to him, but uh, but he didn't trust anybody after that, right? It was just like, yeah, you know, I hired this guy to look after my interests, and he he screwed me, right? So, you you there's all kinds of victims in things, right? And uh, all kinds of reasons people do stuff, and uh, and being judgmental is not the way to get them to talk to you, for sure. <laughs> Oh, for sure, and you know, and the the world has changed a little bit. People are more sophisticated; they're less trusting. I mean, I can mm-hmm. think of, um, you know, when when I start out, when you start out in this business, it was pretty easy to get somebody to talk to you. Yeah, uh, there there was a lot more trust, and uh, now it's almost non-existent. <laughs> I used to put on a southern accent and people would talk to me over the phone just because they'd like hearing my voice. <laughs> well, that's why I like talking to you, uh, Bill. You have that Canadian accent. Oh, you do probably I? don't think you have a Canadian accent, but yeah, there's a little bit there. <laughs> I, I think I sound just like all the American actors on television myself. but <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's funny. We always, we always think we sound different than we do. But So we talked a little bit about... Um, 
approaching somebody that could be adversarial. Do you have some techniques to approach people that you think might be hostile? Well, I guess it depends on how hostile they are. Up here, investigators don't carry weapons or anything, so if you're worried about being able to defend yourself if somebody's going to shoot you, you probably should knock on the door in the first place up here. Uh, but uh, if they're just generally adversarial, uh, part of it is anticipating what, why they would be adversarial. If you know from your intelligence gathering, fine. If you don't, then you got to still engage them in conversation and let them be adversarial and, and understand that they have a perspective and it's not necessarily a wrong one. You know, they may be adversarial with good reason. Mm -hmm. So you have to listen to what they're saying. And then this is pretty much on the fly. You have to be able to come up with a, a response to it. So, um, for example, uh, you know, uh, in a criminal defense thing, you may want to be uh, talking to somebody that got somebody that was a witness whose friend was hurt and mm -hmm. they're going to be adversarial and you're just telling them, you know, well, you know, some of the things that you've read in books and movies and seen in movies over the years, you know, everybody's entitled to a fair trial and uh, I'm just trying to get to the truth and, uh, you know, you can tell me whatever you want. It doesn't matter what you say. Uh, I just want to talk, right? And uh, so you have to let the madness of the person kind of wash over you like water over a duck. And, and don't become defensive yourself uh, right, because they're right. mad at you. And you just say, I understand. I, I, you know, you got good reason to be mad, but, you know, this is the way the system works. We got to got to talk to everybody and be thorough and no rock left unturned. And, and, uh, you know, whatever you say is what you say, right? Like you can say whatever you recall to be the truth, right? But, uh, you, you still, I still need to talk to you. And, you know, if you've done some of the other things that we spoke about earlier and built some rapport with a guy, uh, I mean, if he comes out screaming out the door and slams the door in your face, I'd probably knock once again unless he had a weapon on him or something, right? But uh, in the absence of anything like that, I would knock again and say, you know, first thing I would say, look, I'm really sorry for bothering you, but, and then, you know, but you have to figure out what you were going to say before right. you knock on the door this is the second time, right? But, uh, so, there's that. I, I, if you keep them talking, you, you don't, pause in the conversation too long yourself, but, you know, you're not talking when they're trying to talk, uh, and have some, uh, you know, uh, preparedness about, you know, responding to the reasons they don't want to talk to you. Uh, and if the guy is really mad or adversarial, uh, then, you know, the really, the only thing you can do is try and keep him talking until you get him to a point, like you mentioned earlier, where they calm down a little bit and then you can, you know, maybe apply some other techniques, right? But right. when somebody's screaming and yelling at you, there's not many techniques you can do except stand there and take it quietly and let them, let the person go, you know, because uh, eventually they'll stop and then you can say, look, I understand. You know? Yeah. And I hear you. Yep. I hear you. That's, yeah. 
that's they have to they have to know that you really are hearing them. <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. We're we're gonna take another quick break, Bill. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Can you hear me? Hear me. Your voice counts. Call toll free one 472 5787 one 472 5787 VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Bill joined as my guest. Kept calling in from Toronto, Canada, and we're talking about interviewing witnesses, preparation, and just how to talk to them and get them to talk. So, Bill, do you have a story for us? Well, the one that comes to mind, uh, it was a criminal defense thing. I think it was a attempted murder or something. Uh, it was a long time ago. But anyhow, the folks uh, I had the interview lived in an apartment building in a less than uh, great part of town. And uh, so I went up there and I, I knocked on the door and then I told them who I was. And uh, there was like uh, two or three guys in there, three, I think. And uh, they invited me in, thankfully, and uh, so I figured out who was who and uh, sat down. They took me to the living room and sat down, and there was, like, weapons all over the place. <laughs> so then I'm pretty nervous. And <laughs> so uh, I get to asking the guy the questions, and we're going along pretty good, and uh, he's basically answering most of the things that I ask, and then I asked him, I don't remember what I asked him now, but it was a, a question that really pissed him off, right? And he got mad at me. And I thought to myself, you know, I think I got enough. I think I'll get out of here, right? So I left, and they were on like the, I think it was the 19th floor of this apartment building. 
And I was uh, eventually back down in the parking lot getting into my car, and all of a sudden I heard this huge bang, right? And uh, they had thrown a, uh, a furniture model television set off the balcony at me and landed, really? landed about two feet, two feet away from me. It scared, scared me to death. I'll bet. But, uh, wow. That, that was uh, one interview that worked partially, but not fully. <laughs> So did you get anything good when you talked to them? Yeah, I, I, I did, right? And enough uh, for the uh, lawyer to be able to do whatever it was he was going to do, cross-examine somebody, right? But uh, uh, it, it was a pretty good one. Uh, one time we were uh, talking about adversarial people. This wasn't me, but my uh, my business partner at the time. Uh, we were doing a, a murder appeal in uh, Quebec, and uh, our guy uh, was uh, was incarcerated still at the time, and uh, we went to Quebec. I was there a couple times myself, uh, but my partner, Sean, at the time did uh, most of the work on it, and him and another investigator, Darren, they, they had found out who actually committed this murder, and so they were uh, going to talk to these guys and these two guys, Sean and Darren, they're tough as nails, right? Uh, and, uh, they ended up meeting, uh, somebody in a, in a parking lot there. And then about half a dozen bikers come out with the uh, baseball bats and, uh, tried to chase them out of town, but they were able to, uh, uh, you know, prove that our guy didn't do it. And this other guy did. And, uh, and uh, they ordered a new trial for our guy, like right away. So it was a mm-hmm. it was a six, successful one. Good, good, uh, good job, good work. Yeah, that was a good one. That was uh, did that for. Uh, you remember Reuben Hurricane Carter? Of course, I, I actually yeah, that, had the the guy that was arrested with him was on my show. What was that? He, right? lives, he lives in Canada. Oh, yeah. Um, um, well, shoot, I, can't, I can't remember his uh, name off the top of my head, but he was a fascinating guest. And, yeah, he told the whole story of what happened with he and uh, Hurricane Carter. Well, Reuben started this organization called AIDWIC up here uh, after he moved, got out of prison and moved to Canada. Uh-huh. And then uh, I, believe, I believe it's called the Innocence Canada now, right? But... Uh, at the time, I, I met Ruben. I still remember meeting him in a uh, was like a Swiss chalet chicken restaurant, and he told me his story himself. And I had tears running in my eyes before the chicken yeah. was done. I'll tell you, but yeah. uh, well, this did a is few the guy, things the guy, for them. The guy, the guy that I'm talking about is the one that came up there and took care of Ruben while Ruben, when Ruben got cancer. Oh. He said he took care of him, and I believe he took over whatever Ruben was doing. Oh well, so yeah, I could remember that, his yeah, name. actually, I read something about him in the paper the other day, right? So, uh, yeah, great yeah, guy, great guy, and and never, um, you know, the the huge amount of pressure was put on him to testify against Ruben, and in, to the point where um, they he had been in prison. They brought him home. 
They took, got him out of prison, brought him home, had this assembly person meet him there and to try to talk, talk him into testifying uh, against Reuben, and he refused. Yeah. Because yeah, they were yeah. innocent. Yeah. So, yeah, great. That's a fabulous story. So uh, we we do a, a lot of criminal defense stuff. Some of it's, as you know, is relatively routine, and sometimes you're not successful. Sometimes there's just no getting in that front door, as you well know, and uh, and sometimes you can. And uh, I think uh, I think yeah, a lot of of what it is, is, is being a little resilient about it and, and patient, you know, like, uh, sometimes you can't talk to them the, the first time you knock on the door, but if you keep going back and knocking on the door, uh, eventually they start talking to you, even if it's just to tell you to bugger off and not come back again. Can you say that on the radio? <laughs> yes, you can say that on the radio. We've had, we've had worse things said. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, you know, I, th- I, I mean, what I hear you saying, Bill, is I, I think you have to be conversational. Absolutely. You know, you, you can't, you really can't go in with a list of questions and say, okay, one, did were you here? <laughs> Two, that doesn't work. That, that Joe, that Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am, just doesn't work. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I I think you're right about being conversational and 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 actively listening and and you know having some empathy for the person that you're you're speaking with Uh, because uh, you know sometimes they really are busy and sometimes uh, you know the guy just got home from doing a 12-hour shift and. had to fix a toilet and doesn't want to talk to anybody, you know? So if you keep going back and, and, and if you do have some intelligence about the guy and again, like, you know, there's always budget considerations to keep in mind. Right. But, um, you know, if you know that the guy goes to the Starbucks down the street every day at eight o'clock, maybe you can bump into him there, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. uh, Buy him a coffee and sit and just talk about, anything right and then yeah you know ask for a time to interview them that kind of thing right so yeah and so don't don't give give up exactly don't give that you know um years ago i you're familiar with the story of president nixon and the book all the president's men Mm -hmm. i'm sure so uh years and years ago i read it but before i was an investigator but to your point, I read it again about three years ago, and I was astonished at how many times those reporters, those authors, knocked on the doors of people to talk to them. They didn't yeah. get deterred ever. You know, no matter what that person said, they would go back maybe a couple weeks later, maybe a month later, and knock on their door again to see if they would talk. And that was yeah. a huge lesson for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I, maybe the training for reporters is different than for PIs, yeah. but it, it, it's, it's something yeah. we can learn from them for sure. Uh, you know, for, and, for sure. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, um, 
I, I, re- I remember uh, uh, knocking on a door on a on a murder investigation, and it was was way in the like a rural area, right? So it was a bit of a jaunt to get there, and uh, but it was on the way to my cottage, so uh, that I had at the time. So every time I went to the cottage, I, I stopped and knocked on that door, and eventually, uh, eventually, they did uh, speak with me. So oh, that was good. And so, in terms of uh, gathering intelligence and bumping into people, actually, I, I had uh, had a case years ago. I was working for somebody else at the time, but uh, this this guy uh, was accused of uh, doing some pretty nasty stuff. He he, he ran this cult, and uh, and uh, he was like the the king of the castle and uh, all the women were his and he uh, when he got into mm-hmm. his cups he fancied himself as a bit of a surgeon and take out some girl's liver and cut off a piece and then sew her back up again and stuff mm. like that and uh, of course we were working for him right for his lawyer right right great <laughs> and, and, and as I said disgusting things right but uh, anyhow uh one day, uh, also on the way to the cottage, I uh, stopped at the uh, beer store, which I'm likely to do on the way to the cottage from mm-hmm. time to time. Mm-hmm. And I see the chief uh, uh, officer in charge of the case, the detective, uh, in the car with uh, with one of the main witnesses, right? Necking in the car in the parking lot of the beer store. Oh wow! So, so uh, I got my camera out and took a couple of pictures and called the lawyer and told me, "Goes, oh, that's great, right?" So, I think they reduced the charge from attempted murder to manslaughter or something, right? As a result, right? So, you know, even things accidental can be happen, and if you're prepared, never leave home without your camera. Right, right. And fortunately, now we have smartphones, so we always have them with us anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, this is this is delightful, Bill. I really uh, I appreciate you being on the show today. And uh, so, do you have uh, like one last piece of advice that you could give folks, uh, maybe budding investigators, or uh, even those of us that have been around for a long time, that uh, you think is important to you? Well, I think the two things that are important is is for you to be prepared before you go out to interview somebody and, and know generally what you're hoping to achieve. And two, to be uh, a, a good listener and uh, to build rapport with the person you're hoping to interview and don't consider it a failure if you don't uh, if you don't get them to agree to it right off the bat. Uh, keep trying. Okay, that's that's great. We're at the end of our show, Bill. Thank you so much, and to the rest of you, stay safe. It's PIC Classified. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIs Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 